It is an absolute uh, joy and privilege to be with you, and uh, we've been having a, just a wonderful time together. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the honor and the privilege of being together with you and sharing your services and also being part of your graduation service. I'm very, very excited about that. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I do bring greetings from sunny Gloucester. Uh, it's been the hottest part of the country for many parts of this uh, uh, summer. Uh, it's a beautiful part of the world. I'm part of one church, Gloucester, which is one church in six different expressions. And like yourselves, a growing vibrant missional church that's impacting its communities, and uh, we're so grateful. It's led by Simon and Ali Jarvis, and they send their love uh, to all of you. Also, I bring greetings from my family. So Dawn is my wife. Uh, we have been married 30 years. In fact, two weekends ago, we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. So she, she yes, absolutely. Round of applause for her. I think she deserves all the applause uh, putting up with me for 30 years, but there we are. And we have three children together. Uh, Elena is our oldest. She's 25, uh, a children's pastor. She's married to Dan, and he's an associate pastor. And together, they work in an AUG church in Scunthorpe, sunny Scunthorpe, way up north somewhere the frozen north, and uh, they are having a wonderful time there. They absolutely love that. Uh, my son, Simeon, he is 21. He's with us in Gloucester. He's working in Gloucester, and uh, he's, uh, by God's grace, enjoying life, which is wonderful. And then our youngest, Beth Ann, she's turned 17 and uh, learning to drive. Uh, so if you're coming to Gloucester, just be careful. Uh, she could be on the roads, but she's fabulous, heading off to Zimbabwe this summer to do missions and all sorts of stuff. She's a great girl. And then I must bring greetings <clears throat> from our two sausage dogs because they get upset if I don't mention them. So we've got Pepperoni, the boy sausage dog, and Salami, the girl sausage dog. <laughs> and they send their love to you all, uh, genuinely. Uh, anyway, but, so that's our home. That's our family. We love Jesus. We love the church. Uh, we counted an enormous privilege as we've been singing this morning to get to serve him and uh, to carry his name wherever we go. And so it is my absolute honor to share the word of God with you this morning. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow a reading with me, I'm going to read from Matthew, same book that Pastor Steve read from Matthew, but this time chapter 14. And interestingly, the same two characters at the heart of the story. In the story that Pastor Steve read, it was Jesus and Simon Peter, and this is the same in this. Now, uh, some Christians in the room, if you've been a Christian a long time, then, then you will have heard this story maybe a few times, so please don't switch off or, or get too familiar with it. Uh, open up your ears again. Maybe for some in the room, it's the very first time you've heard this story, and maybe it's your very first time in church. So hope it will be relevant and helpful to everyone here. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, and it says this, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, that's sometime between three and six in the morning, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. 
Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. What an amazing Amazing story. And I suppose when we hear a story like that or read a story like that, one of the little dangers, the subtle dangers, is that where our eyes are drawn to the spectacular bits, the exciting bits, the amazing bits. And of course, really within that story, uh, that, that the amazing bit is, is Jesus walking on the water, this incredible miracle of Jesus walking across Galilee towards these young disciples. And of course, what's even more spectacular in some ways is that Peter, one of his young disciples, gets out of the boat and walks towards him. Now, I know he sunk, and I know, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about that, but, but let's just take a moment to appreciate the fact he walked. It's pretty amazing. I've never walked on water, so, you know, I can't really uh, criticize Peter at all on this. It's an amazing moment, and I love how the Bible puts it. Verse 29, it says, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. It's just a beautiful piece of detail. Now, we don't know how long Peter was on the water for. We don't know how far he walked, but we do know. Somewhere in the walking experience, he got distracted. He took his eyes off Jesus, who he was walking towards, and he got distracted by what was around him, the wind and the, and the context and the circumstances. And when he started to look at that, the Bible tells us he began to sink. And as he began to sink, he cries out to Jesus, and Jesus responds to him. And actually, it's the response of Jesus I just want to spend a few minutes on with you today in the hope of encouraging you and blessing you today. In fact, in the response of Jesus captured in verse 31, I think we get two glorious actions in one moment. I think we get, as it were, uh, the, the, the love of Jesus presented in, in glorious tension. In fact, there are, if you like, two sides to this one love. That when Jesus reaches out to Peter, he's demonstrating his love to him, but there is a tension within this moment which is easy to miss as we read over the detail of the story. But actually, as we see it, we see two sides of one love. We see Jesus reaching out to Peter in order to help Peter. And, and by principle, if you like, it's the same towards us, that what we see Jesus doing to Peter in this very unique moment is the same sort of heart that he has towards me and you. So though we may never have walked on water, may never have had this exact experience, uh, actually, as humans, as we've lived our lives, we will have similar experiences. And, and although Jesus may never have to reach down and pick me and you out of literal water, yet the heart that we see in Jesus here towards Peter is exactly the same heart that he has towards me and you today. And if we can grab those ideas and understand them, I think they can help us to live a little bit more effectively in the 21st century world. So what does Jesus do? Verse 31, look at it closely. It says this, immediately. So Peter cries out, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And then it says this, you have little faith, he said, why 
did you doubt? Two sides of one love. Here's the first side I want you to see, which is very, very powerful. First of all, we can see the compassion of the Lord in this moment. The compassion of the Lord is expressed to Peter in the most beautiful way. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. I love this. As Peter's walking on the water, he's sinking now, and Jesus, there's no, there's no argument, there's no qualification, there's no conversation. He just reaches out and grabs him, and he's got him. Uh, and Jesus holds Peter in the water. And I just love this idea, I love this thought, I love this picture that Jesus is just looking at Peter in his face and says, I've got you. I've got you. You're okay. You're not going to drown. Everything's fine. I've got you. And you know, I love this idea. I love this, this idea about the love of God. That although, although there's something in the Bible that teaches us that God wants us to be a success. He wants us to be water walkers. He wants us to be people who get out of boats. He wants us to be people who stretch ourselves. He wants us to be people who go further than we ever dreamed of going in the purposes and the plans that he had. He's committed to that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Actually, he's also fundamentally committed to your survival. Yes, he wants John Andrews to be a success, but first of all, he doesn't, he doesn't want John to sink. And Jesus will do everything in his power to make sure you don't sink. That's what he's committed to. Yes, he wanted Peter to walk on the water. Yes, he wanted Peter to make it. But, but the reality is, and the fact is, Peter didn't make it. He didn't get all the way out and all the way back on the water and all, all the way back to the boat. He sank in somewhere in the process. But Jesus reaches out to him and grabs him. Why? Because Jesus is fundamentally committed to him. He's not just committed to the program. He's not just committed to his purpose. He's not just committed to the walking on the water bit of Peter's life. He's committed to Peter. He doesn't want Peter to drown. What a thought. That there is a God in heaven who doesn't want you to drown. Think about that. Think about that idea. Think, think about the heart of what we call the good news of the Bible. That, that God so loved us that he reached down to save us. But actually, he doesn't want anyone in this room to go under the water. And he's committed to making that happen. Jesus was committed to Peter in such a way that he said to Peter, you're not going to sink. And sometimes we focus on the fact he didn't walk on the water. And we can talk about that. But actually, what a glorious fact that even though he didn't walk on the water, there is still a God in heaven committed to the man who didn't manage to do it. Who didn't manage to get all the way back to the boat. Jesus was as committed to him in that moment of stumbling and in that moment of failing as he was at any other time in his life. I love that. I love that idea. I love the fact that part of God's love to us, yes, he wants me to be a success. Yes, he wants me to achieve. Yes, he wants me to go places. Yes, he wants me to do things. Yes, he wants me to better, be, be a better version of me in Christ than I could ever have been on my own. Yes, 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 yes to all of that. But he's also fundamentally committed to actually helping me survive. And can I just say, and some, some people in the room won't like this idea, but I, can I just say, sometimes survival is success. Sometimes it is. So sometimes just the fact that we haven't sunk today is a win. Amen? We might not be quite walking on water, but we haven't sunk. Ooh, come on. 
It's that, it's that idea as well. We've got to, got to encourage ourselves with that idea. And we've got to encourage ourselves with a God who is committed to that. He's as committed to your survival as he is committed to your success. And on the days when you don't do so well, he'll grab you. He's with you. I've got you. Peter, I've got you, lad. You're not going to sink. I've got you. Isn't it amazing comfort, encouragement, that there is a God in heaven who's got us, that our names are written on the palm of his hand. The Bible declares that we are the apple of his eye. The Bible says that we are the workmanship of his hands. The Bible says that he has moved heaven and earth to invest into our salvation. Why would he allow his son to die on the cross and pay such a price for us and then let us drown? He's committed to keeping our heads above the water, even on the days when we are stumbling. July 2016 felt like a month that I was going under the water. May 2015, just over a year before that, we took a telephone call from our son to say that he had been arrested. And that was a bit of a shock. That wasn't in our plan. Um, You know, when we prayed for him, when we believed for those words from God for him, that wasn't the plan. Arrested by the police was not on the timeline, right? And so he not only got arrested, he was accused of a profoundly serious crime. And uh, if he was found guilty of that crime, my son would have gone to jail for seven years. In fact, watching Cliff Richard's story this week on the news uh, reminded us of lots of the emotion and lots of the pain that we went through. Because my son, from the very outset, protested his innocence. But, but, but actually, th- this was such a serious accusation, it was, it was investigated. And, and people who were experts in this area kept saying to us, this won't go anywhere, it won't, nothing will happen. But it kept going somewhere. And month after month, it kept going. And so May 2015 turned into July 2016. And and the process of that 12 months, as we headed towards a court date in November 2016, my son spiraled into a horrific depression. So he went from this vivacious, happy, bright, energetic young man, brilliant drummer, loves music, uh, life and soul of a party. He just disappeared in this, in this depression. It was, like, it was like the lights were on, but nobody was at home. Thank God for medication. Thank God for a good counselor. Thank God for doctors. Thank God for people who supported us. But in the midst of that, my son spiraled into this horrendous depression. And in the darkest moment of that depression was July 2016. Something happened and it made it even worse for him. And my son in July 16 started to self-harm in a really profound way. Now, now, we've been watching the dedication of these two gorgeous babies, Silas and Caleb, absolutely gorgeous. Our hands are out to them. We want the absolute best for them. It's, it's just hard to conceive as a parent that, 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 that a child of yours would, would do this. And as a dad, I, I just couldn't get my head around why my son was cutting himself. It was just to come, to come home one day and find your son in the kitchen in a pool of his own blood. I, it, it, my brain couldn't compute it, couldn't work it out, right? And we had him on, first three weeks of July, he spiraled into such depression that we had him on suicide watch for three weeks. He's given me full permission to say all this. On the 20th of July, I was called into my workplace where I worked, the ministry context I worked at that time, and I was sacked. So it was a bad month, July 2016. 
I remember walking, walking home that day and thinking, what is happening? My secure world, my lovely family, my, everything that we had before May 2015 that looked so secure and so rock solid and so like on the water was sinking. Uh, my, my job, uh, things that I thought were, were coming together, a future that was mapped out for the next 10 or 15 years, sunk. Uh, and I felt, this is how I felt, I felt like a failure as a husband. I felt like an absolute failure as a leader. But more, more than any of those, I felt like a profound failure as a father. I felt like somehow I'd let my son down. And I was sinking, I was sinking emotionally, I was sinking in, in, in my heart, I was just literally sinking. Had you said to me at that moment, John, here's a one-way ticket to Mars, I'd have taken it. I'd have got out of there. I was sinking. And as I started to sink, I'm being really honest with you now, I have a CV and I've done this and I've done that and I've got this and I've got that and blah, blah, blah. But on July 16, I was going under the water. And like Peter, I just instinctively, intuitively said, God, help me. Lord, help me. I just need something. Now, here's what I wanted. I wanted the angels to come down in some sort of SAS action, abseil down out of the divine helicopter, grab a hold of me, my son, my wife, my family, and just fix it all. All right? I mean, that's what, I'm being, just being honest with you. When I said, Lord, help me, what I meant was fix all this. Make the scars disappear. Give me my job back. Fix my world. That I, uh, this wonderful, secure world I had a, a few months ago. Fix it all. And he didn't do any of that. But here's what he did do. He reached down and he grabbed me. And here's what he said. You're not going to sink. You're not going to sink. You're not going to sink. Paul says, when he was writing to the church at Corinth, he says, God is faithful. We've been singing about that, right? Faithful God. He says, he will not let you be tempted beyond that which you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way so that you can stand up under it. Now, I want to be honest with you. I thought I was the exception to that rule in July 2016. I thought, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't bear another thing. And yet the Lord reached down and he grabbed me and he spoke to me and he said, you're not going to sink. You're not going to drown. Now, what I wanted him to do was pull me out. What I wanted him to do was dry me off. What I wanted him to do was fix everything. But he didn't do any of that. He just held me in the midst of the storm. The storm didn't stop. Kept going. And it would be another four or five months before my son was declared innocent in a court of law and the case thrown out. It would be another six months before we were absolutely confident he wasn't self-harming anymore. It would be another eight or nine months before he was off medication and free from depression. And it would be a little while before we actually journeyed out of some of the after effects of that storm. But in the midst of it, we didn't drown. We didn't drown. We stayed alive. And sometimes we think because Jesus doesn't rescue us out of it, he doesn't love us. But here's Jesus. He's got Peter in the storm. He, he's, he's holding him and the wind and the waves is going on around him. He's not, he's not back in the boat here. He's in the storm. But he's saying to Peter, stop looking around you. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. I've got you. I've got you. You're not going to drown. You're going to survive. 
I love how Isaiah puts it to the people of God in their own little storm, in their own moment of potential sinking. He writes to them and he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. And the flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now look at the tension. Look at the paradox. He's calling himself Savior, but they're going through the waters. They're going through the river. They're going through the flames. He doesn't say, I'm your savior and I'll deliver you from the river and from the waters and from the flames. He's saying, I'm your savior in the water, in the flames and in the river. And it takes as much faith to believe that God loves us in the river and in the water and in the flames as it does to believe that we can be rescued from it. Now listen, we as a church, we believe God can rescue you. We believe in crisis, dynamic moments where Jesus can step in and fix it in an instant. We believe that stuff here. We believe in the suddenness of the Holy Spirit. We believe that. But there are moments when the Lord doesn't rescue us out. He rescues us through. That's not so exciting. No one really wants to sign up for that program. But listen to me. The only reason I'm here today is not because I'm tough and strong and because of my CV and because of this. The only reason I'm here today is because in July 2016, a faithful God said to me, you'll not drown. I've got you. You're, it looks like your world's falling apart. Look at me. Look at me, John. I've got you. I've got, stop looking at the wind. Stop looking at the waves. Stop looking at the self-harm. Stop looking. Stop. If you look at all of that, you're going under. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I've got you. That's the only reason I'm here. Because he got me. And he wouldn't let me go. And he wouldn't abandon the work of his hands. And he won't do that to you either. Come on now. Listen, there are moments when we'll walk on water and we'll get back in the boat and go, great. There are other days we'll walk on water and we'll fall over ourselves and we'll make a fool of ourselves. In those days, he's got you. You feel like you're not a very good parent? He's got you. You feel like things aren't working out at work? He's got you. Your finances, no matter what you do, it's all, he's got you. 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 And he will not let you sink. He will not let you drown. The river, the wind, the waves, the fire will not consume you because he is your savior. He is your savior. And Peter learned that that day. As he's sinking, he hears and feels the hand of Jesus around him. I've got you, boy. Don't worry. But look at the second part of this love, this incredible love. It's the the compassion of the Lord's magnificent. But look at the second bit really quickly. The challenge from the Lord. Now, now, Now note the scene. Jesus literally has a hold of Peter. So he's just holding him. It'd be fantastic if we could imagine this. He's just, Jesus is standing on the water like it's rock solid. And Peter's in the water, maybe up to his waist or up to his shoulders. But Jesus has got him. And while Jesus has got him in the water, they're not back in the boat now. While Jesus has got him in the water, Jesus says to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? It's a bit harsh, isn't it? 
And there's this really awkward tension in this verse. On the one hand, we get this magnificent expression of God's compassion. And we go, yes, yes, yes. And then we get this awkward, hey, why did you doubt? Why didn't you just believe me? While Peter's shivering and soaking in the water. Somewhere between three and six o'clock in the morning. Why couldn't Jesus wait till he got back in the boat and to drive the boy down before he gave him a bit of a lecture on faith? Why couldn't he wait till he had some fish for breakfast around a nice warm fire? But no, no. At that moment of saving him, he challenges him. Why? Why? Because Jesus didn't just want Peter to survive. He didn't want Peter to settle. And one of the temptations here would be Peter would get back in the boat and go, whoo, whoo. Thank God that's over. That was amazing. And then just forget about it. But Jesus wants him to get something in this moment. Jesus wants him to grab truth in this moment. Jesus wants him to learn something in this moment. So that when Peter gets back in the boat, he's a bigger person. So when he gets back in the boat and moves beyond this and is having fish over fire the next morning, something has moved. Something is changing. Peter is becoming everything that Jesus wants him to become because Jesus is committed to your survival, but he is also committed to our success. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be bigger. He wants you to go further. He wants you to grab the best that he has for you so that you and I go forward. And actually, in order to do that, sometimes he will bring a challenge. And can I say the challenge is exactly the same expression of love as the compassion? When Jesus saves Peter, we go, oh, that's love. But when Jesus challenges Peter, that's love. It's the same love, just two different sides. And they're all sitting together in one moment. He's saying to Peter, you won't sink. And at the same time, he says to Peter, why didn't you believe me? He saves him and rebukes him in the same moment. Why? Because he wants us to win. He loves us so much that his love will come to us and challenge us. He doesn't just want us to be saved and to get through it. He wants us to learn something in these moments so that we become bigger and better people in Christ. So that we can get back into the boat of our world or go beyond on our next journey. And actually, we look back in those moments and we see something that God did in that which has made us bigger, made us better, made us stronger, made us wiser, made us more faithful, made us more courageous. Why? Because in a moment when he saved us, he also challenged us. And some of us love the saving bit, but we're not so keen on the challenging bit. And yet the challenge is part of the love. Listen to these words from the writer to the Hebrews. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son, difficult, difficult passage. Some really interesting words in there that we don't like so much. Uh, two that I want to highlight to you. It says this, he disciplines those he loves. Now the word discipline there, the picture behind that is the idea of instruction. And the simplest way to explain it to you would be this. We've got these lovely children we've dedicated today. The idea here is we're taking a child by the hand and we're teaching them something we know. So it's a cooperation it's not, not discipline in the nasty sense or discipline in the negative sense. Uh, uh, it's, it's discipline in the sense of let me teach you what I know. It's the discipline of instruction. And God loves me and you so much that he will draw alongside us and say, take my hand. 
Now let me teach you something. Now that's his plan A. That's what he wants. He wants us to cooperate with his learning. I mean, that's the smart thing to do. He wants me and you to listen to him and cooperate. But note the second part, and this is the bit we really, really, really don't like. It says this, he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Some translations have he chastises everyone he accepts as a son. The word there is a really strong word, a bit of a nasty word. It literally means to scourge. Now bear with me, here's the idea. His plan A really is that he wants you to take his hand and say, come on, learn with me. Let me teach you something because he loves you so much, he wants you to learn some stuff. But here's the thing, and here's, here's the side of it that sometimes we don't like as Christians. He loves you so much that if you don't respond to his instruction, then he'll, he'll revert to intervention. And that's the idea behind this idea of punishment or scourging. It, it's not that he's going to hurt us, but he will result to intervention. He'll do something to get our attention. He'll do something to grab our focus. He'll do something, and he might even squeeze us a little bit in order to get us to focus. Do you know that's love? Oh, John, I like the saving bit. I'm not sure I like this bit. And that's the problem, you see. We, 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 we love the idea that Jesus saves Peter. We're not so comfortable with the idea that Jesus rebukes Peter, and yet it's all love. Come on now. And so if we won't respond to his instruction, then he will revert to intervention. Some of you are maybe experiencing an intervention of the Lord at the moment. You're, you're, you're a bit uncomfortable. Life's a bit difficult. And actually, sometimes we're tempted to blame the devil and blame other things. And it might be that, or it just might be the God in heaven who loves you so much that he's trying to get your attention. Are you with me? When I was a boy, I grew, I grew up on the Troubles in Belfast. And the Troubles ran from about 1969 to about the mid-80s. And I, I, I was three years old when the Troubles broke out. And we lived on a peace line in Belfast. It's an oxymoron. There wasn't any peace at all on that line. And you had a Protestant community on one side and a Catholic community on the other. And eventually they built a big fence between us because we kept fighting each other. And one of the things that often happened was one group would, would go into the other community and maybe petrol bomb or stone. And then the other group would retaliate. And so you'd get houses burned down on on the peace line. One particular house got burnt out right on the corner of our street. And of course, although it was burnt out, it was a terrible thing. A family got burnt out of that. It became a playground for the children. So I was nine years of age, and we ended up climbing into this house, a four-story house, and we climbed all the way to the top of the house in these burnt-out rafters. And my mother was out. That's the only way I got away with it. And so, and so I climbed up to the top of these rafters, and we were having the most amazing time. Now, I should say this, my, my mom and dad, adorable, adorable people. My dad, one of the most gentle men you could ever imagine. Uh, even in the days when you were allowed to physically chastise your children, my dad never raised a, a hand to his children at all. And in fact, he, he sort of smacked my, my, my sister's backside when she was four. She cried so much, she said he would never touch his children again. And he never did. Never raised a finger to me. My mother, on the other hand... She made up for that. <laughs> Four foot eleven, Ulster Celt, packed a punch beyond her size. <laughs> Fiery Ulster Celt, and my mother mother was good at chastisement. And as, as I'm up on the fourth floor, my mother's walking down the street. I can see her, and I shout, "Mommy, mommy!" 
and she can hear my voice but doesn't know where her adorable angel's voice is coming from. And so eventually she works it out and she sees me on the fourth floor. And of course, she has her own version of this story. And she comes across to the burnt out house and she looks up as, my, as I'm dangling out the window. I'm literally sitting on the window ledge with my feet out the window uh, on the fourth floor. And she goes, John, son, John, come down. I've got something for you. If only I had the wisdom I have now. (laughs) And so my innocent nine-year-old self thought, oh, my mom's got some sweets for me. And so I climbed all the way down. She said, my heart was in my mouth watching you do it. And when I got to the ground, all I can describe to you is that my feet never touched the ground until I got home. Okay? You know, no fish were injured in uh, Steve's illustration, but I do want to say to you that my backside was well and truly injured in the making of this illustration. uh, from, From the corner to my house, about 150 yards, I literally bounced. As a four foot 11 Irish woman, just every time I came down, boom. It worked. I'm 51 years of age. I was nine years when that nine years old when that happened. I've never climbed into an empty house ever since. <laughs> Here's what the writer to the Hebrews says: No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained. By it. That was a painful moment when Jesus rebuked Peter, but later on, later on, it would produce something in him. Can I just say, as I draw this to a close, that's an amazing picture of the love of God for each one of us. We have a God in heaven who loves us so much that actually in our stumbling, he reaches out immediately and grabs us. His first priority is to save us. His first priority is to make sure we do not go under. But he doesn't just want to help us survive. That's one expression of his love. He wants to make sure the wind and the waves and the flames don't consume us. Absolutely, he's committed to our survival, but he's also committed to our success. He doesn't want us to settle. He wants us to be people who move forward into his purpose. And because of that, every now and again, he'll get in our face a little bit. He'll rebuke us like he did with Peter. He'll challenge us. He'll make our comfortable world uncomfortable. Not because he's nasty or bad or not because he doesn't like you. He loves you relentlessly. But because he wants to move you. He wants to make something of you. He wants to form something in you. My mother chastised me that day, she tells me, because she loved me. And it's true. She still loves me. I talk to her every day on the phone. And every day on the phone, she says, son, I love you. Thank you for calling. And we have a God who's relentlessly committed to us. And as we open up our hearts to that love and we accept that love, it can change the way we live in our ordinary moments. Imagine how it would change your life if you and I go into our world knowing he will not let me sink. 
Parents, he won't let you sink. Sir, he won't let you sink. Imagine what that would do if that really became a revelation to us. He's never going to let me sink. But also for those of us as we journey, the discomfort of those moments when he gets in our face and he says, now come on, move. And we have the courage to realize that's love. It's as much love as the love that saved us. So I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes, bow your heads just for a moment. A few more seconds, literally, a few more minutes, and I am finished. You've been incredibly patient and kind in listening to me, but I just want to, I just want to take a moment to pray. And I want to pray really for, for two groups of people. First group of people in the room, I just want to pray, and I want to encourage you to, to stand in, in the love of God. Perhaps you're here and you just feel like the wind and the waves are against you. You're in the middle of a storm. And you just need to hear, John, he won't let me sink. That actually that needs to become a revelation in you. That in the midst of, of a world that's wobbling and shaking and, and, and not as secure as it used to be, that he is committed to your survival. And as I spoke this morning, that something in your heart leapt and responded. I would love to pray for you. I would love to pray that the Lord brings a revelation of his love and grace to you right now. That in the midst of your storm, you will know you will not sink. Now, if that's you, and you would like me to pray for you, right now, while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, just stand where you are, and I will pray for you. I won't bring you down the front. I won't do anything. I'll just pray for you where you're standing. I'm going to open this up for about 10 seconds, 12 seconds or so. If that's you, and you want me to pray for you in the midst of your storm, that, that there will be a, a revelation, there will be a, a, a fresh understanding, I will not sink and stand right now in the name of Jesus and let me pray for you. Very quickly, you'll know who you are. Now, as I look across this auditorium, people are standing. Thank you for your humility. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your courage and standing. I'm going to pray right now. I have faith in my heart to believe that actually you can get a revelation today that He is your Savior. He is your Lord and He will not let you sink. So Lord, right now, for those people who are standing right now, for worlds that are shaking and wobbling, for, for uncertainty and, and insecurities, for things that seem so solid and now they don't seem so solid. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, a revelation of your grace, a revelation of your love, a revelation of your power, a revelation of your faithfulness will come to every person who is standing in this room right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that, Lord, their eyes will be off the wind. Their eyes will come off the storm. Their eyes will come off the disappointment. Their eyes will come off the moments that are getting under their, under their skin and into their hearts. And their eyes now will come to focus upon you. That, Lord, as they look at you, they will know with assurance they will not sink in the name of Jesus. And the Lord, as they go back to their world, they will go back to it with a confidence that they will not sink, that you have them, that they are the apple of your eye, that they are your masterpiece, that they, their name is inscribed on your hand, that they are the works of your hands. And you will not let them sink, even though they're in a, in a river, in a storm, in a, in, in a blaze of fire. Lord, you are their Savior. And they will not sink in Jesus' name. 
And Lord, that will bring a new confidence and power into their lives as they go back to the ordinary and the routine. They will see the supernatural grace of God in the midst of their own storm. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now quietly just sit, sit down. One more appeal and I am done. There are those in this room and you are being squeezed by the rebuke of the Lord, the challenge of the Lord. You know it. As I spoke about it, you felt it. You know it's not the devil. You know it's, it's not anything bad that you're doing. You know it's not because there's unrighteousness in your life, but you're in a place of profound discomfort and it's, it's the Lord getting your attention. You know this. You feel it. That as I spoke about Peter, dots connected in your mind. And actually, do you know what? Here's what I want to say to you. If you will have the faith to respond correctly to the challenge of the Lord, that challenge can make you a bigger person. That challenge can take you to a bigger place. That challenge can move you forward. That challenge can enable you to become something you will not become if we respond to that challenge in the wrong way. So it takes faith to respond to the challenge that makes us uncomfortable. But it's still the love of God. Now if that's you and you would like me to pray for you, very quickly, next 10 seconds, I just want you to stand to your feet. It's very niche. It's very particular. You will know who you are. It might just be for one person in the room. But if it's you, stand right now. Stand in the name of Jesus. people standing in this room thank you for your courage thank you for your humility thank you for your faith in responding to the word of the Lord now listen to me carefully if you will by faith understand that what the Lord is doing and is at work in you is because he loves you it's because he wants the best for you it's because there is something bigger and better beyond this moment your view of this moment will radically change. Your faith in this moment will radically change. Your courage in this moment will radically change. And he can do something in you and through you. And so Lord, for those standing right now, let new faith arise. A faith to see your hand at work in the challenge. A faith to see your hand at work in the rebuke. A faith, Lord, to see and respond to your love and to your grace in this moment. Lord, I pray that you will protect them, that you will watch over them and that you will keep them. And that, Lord, as they respond to you, that, Lord, as they reach out to you, that, Lord, as they submit to you, even in the midst of what seems to be an uncomfortable and difficult moment, you will do something in them and through them that is beyond this moment. You will produce in them a harvest of righteousness. You will produce in them something that is greater and bigger than the moment they're in. You will produce something in them that is greater and bigger than even who they are in this moment. And that, Lord God, you will perfect your purposes in them. And Lord, I pray that they will go from this place with faith in their heart. That you love them, you're committed to them, and you are shaping something in and through them for your honor and for your glory.